You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Claire O'Brien, a nurse practitioner. And today I have Dr. Richa Mattal, who is in Dallas, Texas. Um, she is double board certified physician, one of the just wealth of information, most wonderful accounts to follow on Instagram um, that I love talking to. And I always take my questions to her that I totally can't answer. And she gives me the best answers. Um, thank you for coming. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you're like in the middle of a busy clinic, um, to record a podcast. Thanks for having me. This is fun. I love this stuff. Yeah. I love it. I love a good podcast. So tell me you started in internal medicine, right? And tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah. So I actually started, um, as a hospitalist. So I used to take care of the sickest of the sickest in the hospital and um, but I always had the interest on the preventative side. So eventually, uh, you know, life for personal reasons took me all over the United States, moved around quite a bit. Uh-huh. And um, I eventually kind of settled on the fact that I wanted to be more on the outpatient side. I was really passionate about prevention and metabolic health. And then um, I guess about seven years ago, I was exposed to the field of obesity medicine, which is, um, you know, relatively new compared to all the other specialties. And what really drew me to it is that it is the root cause of so many of the chronic medical issues that we see, Mm -hmm. like type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, certain cancers, high blood pressure, heart disease, you know, the list could go on. And so I really became very interested in treating the root cause and helping people get off of medication and really change the uh, you know, outcome of these diseases that I think a lot of times people think are inevitable. Right. Um, and so that's what brought me to where I am today. So, how, so did you do another, what, is that like another fellowship or how did you get boarded in obesity medicine? So there is a clinical track. So basically um, as a board certified internal medicine doctor and um, other doctors that look into this specialty or like family practice, psychiatry, even some surgeons. And you can go um, and basically attend a series of conferences and do a lot of CME. um, And then you take a board exam, Mm -hmm. which is administered by the American Board of Obesity Medicine. And then you can be uh, certified through the clinical track. There are a few fellowships around the country, but that's not mandatory at this point. So, and people are going to hear obesity and be like, well, I'm not obese, so I do not need this information. What, what, I mean, you and I know that's not correct at all, but I do think we all hear the word obese and feel like that doesn't apply to me necessarily, or even if it does, technically, it's just still, it's, it's hard to hear that word and it's hard to apply it to, to your own life. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I know exactly what you mean. And it, it, it pertains to me, it pertains to you, it pertains to everybody, right. because it's about metabolic health. And I wish there was another term for it. Um, 
it's funny because even in my own practice and when I talk about this stuff, I rarely use the word obesity. I talk about medical weight management. I talk about right. metabolic health, about prevention. And so I think that it is pertinent to all of us because we all, um, you know, are looking to improve our health. And um, even for uh, people who maybe don't qualify for that term obesity, which is honestly based on BMI, which doesn't really tell the whole story. Right. Um, you know, that is uh, something that isn't relevant to everyone when you just talk about BMI. Right. But when you talk about body fat percentage, when you talk about waist circumference, when you talk about all the different, you know, parameters that I use to, um, you know, kind of make a assessment of somebody's metabolic health, then all that stuff pertains to all of us. So yeah, it isn't just about, um, you know, the people who are above a certain weight need to be thinking about this because we all need to be thinking about it. So what is metabolic health? You, you said that a couple of times and I feel like I, I can't answer that. And I know people probably won't be able to follow along if they don't know what that is. Right. So what is, what do you call metabolic? What, how would you explain metabolic health? Yeah. So, you know, basically we all have a metabolism, right? Mm -hmm. And what that means is that's our body's um, ability and how it processes the food we eat, um, our, our movement, and basically maintains like an energy balance, if you will. And, um, you know, when people talk about, oh, I, you know, I think my metabolism slowed down, um, you know, so that can lead to a person saying that because they're maybe starting to weight, gain weight and they're having some issue with their metabolism. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, metabolic health is basically talking about your health in terms of typically blood pressure, cholesterol, risk of weight gain in the abdominal area leading to the risk of prediabetes and diabetes, uh, fatty liver, something that a lot of people hear about nowadays, it's becoming more common. Um, so, you know, all those types of Ill illnesses, and then of course, heart disease, and even certain cancers are, are weight related, you know, all of those things put together are our metabolic health. And so it's basically how our body handles the food that we're eating. Are we using it? Are we storing it away as fat? Um, and then how that has an impact on our health. That is what metabolic health is. Can you be metabolically unhealthy and not be overweight? Yes. So often, again, the overweight or obesity guidelines are being completely defined by BMI, right? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of alluded to that doesn't really tell us the whole story. So what happens is that we have to also be looking at these other parameters. So that's why when you go to your annual physical, they're not just checking your weight, but they're typically checking your blood pressure or you're getting labs to look at your cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Um, and so unfortunately, even those things don't always tell the whole picture, but at least they're a good start. And so, you know, when we're, when we're looking at, um, at health, we really have to be kind of looking at it from a little bit of a different approach than, than, than just weight. And so to answer your question, yes, you can be metabolically unhealthy and there are certain ethnicities. So, um, Hispanic, Asian, South Asian, um, our risk, and I say our because my parents are from India and from the South Asian subcontinent. Right. Um, you know, we have those ethnicities have an increased risk of metabolic 
problems like the ones I just mentioned okay. at a BMI starting at 23. So oh, that's wow. actually a that's normal well. BMI. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, that's where I really th uh, think that, you know, weight, looking at waist size. So since we're talking about it, um, I'll tell you the waist sizes. So basically when you check waist circumference, you are looking at a estimate of how much something called visceral fat a person has. Mm -hmm. And visceral fat is the fat that we store around our midsection and around our organs. And visceral fat, when we start storing that kind of fat, I get really concerned about, okay, is this person at risk for diabetes? Mm -hmm. Because the mechanisms that go into that kind of fat is what's called insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. So basically that means your body's not listening to insulin like it should, and that can lead to diabetes down the line. So when we're examining somebody, we're looking at that midsection, looking at the visceral fat, because visceral fat not only is bad that it's there because of insulin resistance, but it makes insulin resistance worse. And it's actually the driver of inflammation. Mm -hmm. And then that inflammation leads us to an increased risk of certain cancers like endometrial, breast cancer, prostate cancer, or more obesity or weight related. So I almost call them like excess body fat rather than saying obesity. Yeah. Um, and then also the risk of diabetes and heart disease. So when we're looking at waist circumference, we might see somebody who has skinny arms, skinny legs, and a big belly, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And we all know people that might you know, have that kind of problem. And when we're looking at that person, we're concerned about their, their metabolic health, even though their BMI is normal. And so how, what if you have those patients? So a lot of people ask this, I was telling you, I put up a question box and so many people said, I feel like I eat right and I exercise and I'm still having a problem with my, my actual weight or even like belly circumference. Like you're saying, what, what do you do with those patients that are kind of doing the quote unquote right things? And they've still got like such stubborn visceral fat or excess adiposity. Yeah. You know, that's why it's not as simple as eat less, move more. Right. <laughs> so right. that's kind of what traditionally was said. And traditionally, I think, um, when people are dealing with this stuff, they tend to blame themselves because they're like, well, I just don't have the willpower or, you know, I'm not doing the right things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to kind of have a multifactorial approach, right? You have to look at a whole person. And this is what I do in my practice is mm -hmm. there's you in the middle and then all the different things that go into your health. So yes, it's about eating less perhaps if you have been eating more or extra or more than you yeah. need, but also looking at what does that food look like, right? So we know that um, it's not just about the calories, but what are those calories made of? And like a simple way to look at this is if I ate 500 calories of Twinkies, is that the same effect on my body as 500 calories of broccoli? Well, obviously mm. not, right? Well, why if it's right. the same amount of calories? but it's about what the food is made of. So, you know, what people can do as far as small changes and action steps is number one, look at how much um, fat you're getting. Is your um, fat content high? Cause fat is calorically um, one gram has nine calories. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, you might think you're eating healthy, but if you're eating a lot of fat that can lead to weight gain or maybe not seeing the caloric deficit that you quite thought you were creating. Mm -hmm. um, number two, where is that fat coming from? You know, we know studies show that saturated fat is a problem, um, maybe not from a weight gain standpoint, but from a inflammation standpoint, which is related to the, your metabolic health. Um, and so that's going to be getting your 
fat sources more from what are called monounsaturated fats. So those are going to be plant-based fats, like fats from seeds, nuts, olive oil, avocado, things like that. Mm -hmm. So looking at your fat sources, looking at your fat amount, and then looking at what your carbohydrates look like. So again, when you're eating more simple carbohydrates, that means that the fiber's been taken away. A lot of times those are gonna be our carbohydrates that were processed in a factory. So you wanna be eating more whole grains. Um, and then I think another thing that gets people is looking at the portion size of the whole grain. So a serving is half a cup. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you read the food label, mm-hmm. um, ha- probably a lot of times when people eat like, say pasta or rice or something, it might be like the whole plate covered in it, which is way more uh, calories and way more carbohydrates than maybe the person thought they were getting. So looking at portion size can have an impact. And then just, you know, knowing that uh, you got to eat your veggies, right? So I follow the Harvard uh, plate model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's half your plate in veggies. And I don't think that most of us um, at least automatically eat like that. It oh, does take not no. It takes practice. It takes really like thinking about um, what I'm doing. I always share this with my patients and you know for myself. Buying things like pre-cut veggies, frozen veggies, um, you know, make it easier for yourself to be able to kind of get more veggies on your plate because those are the carbohydrates that are full of fiber and those nutrients lead to um, decreasing inflammation in your body, right? Because again, we're talking about health, but weight in terms of health. So the, the more fiber, eating 30 grams a day, at least of fiber through those ways that I'm, I'm telling you, um, and really like understanding that it goes beyond the calories in, calories out. When you eat more fiber and you eat more plants, you can actually help to improve your gut bacteria, which is your gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. And, and that has huge effects on your health. I know we're kind of going all over the place, but there's so many things. No, but I love it. I had Will, I don't know if you follow the Gut Health MD, Will Bolshevitz, but yeah. had, he was one of my first episodes, bless his heart, because he lives in Charleston. This was during COVID and I was able to, to wrangle him for an episode, but. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been actually that. reading his, his, his book. book. It's so good. It's so good. And I love how he's never like, you need to be a vegan, but it's just, you read it and you're like, oh my God, I've got to have more plants. I mean, you generally like want to eat more plants. So, and I love how both of you guys, I mean, you just mentioned carbohydrates and people are freaking terrified of carbs. I mean, they are terrified of carbohydrates. And I'm like, I don't understand how you can live and eat tons and tons of plants and not have whole grains and car. I mean, you just can't, I, I don't know what, what are you, anyway, what are your thoughts about carbohydrates? <laughs> Obviously. So fine. all carbs are not created equal. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, if you're choosing the, um, carbohydrates in their more natural form. So again, that's going to be vegetables, fruit, whole grains, mm-hmm. beans, legumes, lentils, um, your plant-based, well, they're all going to be plant-based when they're carbohydrates, but um, you want to be eating things in their natural form. Um, it's the carbohydrates, like the ones made with refined flour. So like, you know, that's where like bread gets a bad rap, right? But if you eat a little bit of bread that's made with like a whole grain, that's going to be more, uh, you know, fulfilling as well, because it's full of fiber and maybe some protein in there. Versus when you eat just a piece of white bread, you know, you're basically getting sugar. And so, 
Exactly. That's exactly the term empty. So how can you make, if you choose carbohydrates that are not empty and they're full of other things, then they're going to serve you well versus the carbohydrates that are very simple. And, you know, I work with a lot of patients with type two diabetes and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And, you know, it's very hard to lose weight with, with those conditions. Like I recognize that, but if you're eating a lower carb Mediterranean diet, you know, that's kind of what I, the framework of what I put my patients on. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to be completely plant-based or vegan or vegetarian, even like you said, but you do need to be plant forward. Plant forward. Yeah. I love, I love that term. So how do you feel about so much keto happening right now? Um, so my concern with keto is that you're 20 grams a day of carbohydrates. So you're pretty much only able to eat meat and like as your protein sources. Mm -hmm. And uh, my concern is there that you're not getting your fiber, which we know has benefits for heart health, for cancer risk, for your gut microbiome, all of that. And I don't think it's very sustainable. It's hard to do that for a right. really long time. Um, so it does, I don't think it serves you from a health standpoint and it's not sustainable. But the thing is like, I understand why people are doing it because you don't feel hungry when you're in nutritional ketosis. Yeah. So when you're trying to eat less and lose weight, and if you're hungry all the time, that's, that's miserable. Normal. Yeah. So I think that a better approach and what I do in my own life and with my patients is you can get nutritional ketosis without eating keto. <laughs> so okay. yeah, but what that entails is that you're doing a lower carb approach. So again, we're including the carbohydrates that we're talking about and not everyone needs to do it this way. I don't, not for everyone, right? but for a lot of people, this works very well is to eat lower carbs. So that means you're going to eat the carbs, like lots of vegetables, some whole grains, beans, legumes, like 75 grams a day is actually still low carb. The average American eats 300 grams just to kind of put some I numbers have no on that. idea how many grams of carbs I eat a day, but even well, like one a, would need I mean, to track it. <laughs> even like a carrot is a carb, you know, I mean, it's, like on keto, you can't have so many vegetables because there's, there are carbs in them. I mean, sweet potatoes, carrots, you know, regular potatoes, there's just right. carbs are everywhere, even in really, really good plants. Yeah. So if you're choosing those, and then, um, I use a lot of intermittent fasting and fasting mm -hmm. in my patients and in my own life. And that's another talk way about that people are dying, dying to have accurate information on intermittent fasting. Sure. Yeah, I will. I will share. So when you do um, intermittent fasting or say huh. when you go like 17, 18 hours, um, which means like maybe you've wrapped up dinner at 6 p.m. or something like that. Right. So comes around um, 8 a.m. You're already what, 14 hours into it. So maybe if you ate at 10 a.m. Right. That's mm -hmm. a 16 hour fast. So around that time, your body switches. It's um, basically switching from burning glycogen for energy. So uh -huh. we have sugar stored in our liver in the form of glycogen. And when we don't have food, either in between meals or while we're sleeping, our body just burns that for energy, right? Okay. So when we fast, meaning we're, we're, we're not eating, it doesn't mean we're starving ourselves. It's just during the time when we're not eating. Yeah. At that time, our body burns fat for energy, but we typically need to burn our glycogen before we burn the fat. 
So the people who do keto, what happens is they're tricking their body into thinking that there's no sugar around, right? Because they're not eating very much. Okay. So they don't really have much in the form of glycogen. And once they burn through that, they're burning fat for energy. And we do know that when people kind of eat a ketogenic diet, they don't feel as hungry. There's some uh, study, small studies that show even when people drink exogenous ketones, there's a decrease in the hunger hormone called ghrelin. So, you know, taking that and making it a combination of where you're eating all these foods that we know are beneficial to our health that we just talked about and combining that with periods of time that don't have to be super long if they don't need to be, um, to kind of get that benefit where you have that time period mm-hmm. where you don't eat and you're burning fat for energy. That might also help with hunger. It also makes it a less of a burden for those of the people who are counting calories. Right. You know, that's a big burden. Like thinking hard. about really hard. calories is really yeah. hard. And so typically when you eat within a window, say you're eating within a six to eight hour window in the day, and you know you're going to eat two or three times and you're going to make it count when you eat and you're going to make your plate look beautiful like we just talked about, then you don't need to count as often, right? Or you don't need to count as much, which is freeing for your mind. Right. So, okay, with intermittent fasting, somebody asked this question. I was like, yes, and inadvertently I have been intermittent fasting apparently for a long time. I just got in a bad habit of, like I get up and my kids are little and it's funny. We would all usually all get out the door and kind of grab something and go. But now that we're, we're not going out the door, we're just hanging around all of a sudden it's 10 or 11 o'clock and I feel terrible. And I'm like, Oh my God, I never ate breakfast. Is that, is that the same? Is it, is that the same as actual intentional intermittent fasting? If you just like forget a meal or is it, I mean, do you feel like, <laughs> well, you yeah, said not- the key word, you did it unintentionally. Yep. Not on purpose, yeah. but it's the same amount of hours. I mean, cause we eat dinner. At, I mean, this is embarrassing, but we eat dinner at like literally five 30. I mean, and cause our kids are little and they go to bed and so we'd eat dinner and I guess it, so intermittent fasting is like kind of define it for me. So you're having nothing like water or do you have your, you're allowed to have your coffee in the morning or how does that, what does that really look like? Just you eat dinner and then water is the only thing until the next morning when you break your fast or what is that looking like? Yeah. So that's, that's a a great question. And intermittent fasting is kind of a a vague term, right? Mm -hmm. So there's different kinds of fasting. There's time restricted eating, which is Mm -hmm. kind of what we're talking about. And when you did it unintentionally, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you basically fasted. The difference is that, you know, typically you might kind of consider like, oh, okay, I'm not eating right now. So that would be intentional. But, you know, if you're eating within a certain time window of the day and then you don't eat in the evening, that's called time-restricted eating. Uh-huh. Um, that's a great maintenance strategy for some people. Sometimes when they do that, they just kind of create a calorie restriction, maybe because they were, they kind of cut out all the nighttime eating that was happening or drinking um, like, or yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Technically no, you shouldn't be drinking <laughs> while you're fasting. That's not a fast. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So you would want, so a lot of times, you know, that, that is one form of fasting and that has health yeah. benefits. We do have some studies that show forget about weight management because weight loss with time restricted eating is kind of variable, but the metabolic health standpoint, um, 
you know, eating, following your circadian rhythms, we know um, has benefits to your metabolic health. There's studies that have been done that look at men who were pre-diabetic, put on the same amount of calories who ate earlier in the day versus over 12 hours. And the people who ate earlier in the day had better glycemic or better blood sugar control, even mm-hmm. though they didn't lose weight. It's so it's important. And I think it's because I mean, this isn't going to be kind of evidence-based. However, it makes sense. When we were out and about in nature, we probably weren't meant to be eating when we might get hunted and eaten by a predator, right? So I think our metabolism, and there are studies that show that mitochondria and even like our, you know, cells, like, I mean, we know that cells have body clocks and um, our brain has a body clock and we are if we follow that, that kind of makes sense that we're, that we're, we're optimized to eat earlier in the day. Right. Right. It's all super, it's super interesting. And I I think too, you know, when you and I, the first time we talked such a long time ago and I, I loved the way that you phrased this because so we, you and I are talking about all of these things and this isn't like a triggering conversation for us, but there's a lot of conversation right now around, you know, body shaming and weight shaming and, what you said was, I, I love this. You just said, listen, we have to take the emotion out of it. This isn't about just, you know, whether you're overweight or not. It's, it's about literally about people's health. And we have to take the emotional component out of that, out of the conversation and bring it back to, you know, is, do you need to be, do I need to be intermittent fasting to lose weight? Probably not. But is it, do I still reap the benefits of maybe an increase in my metabolic resilience? maybe I do. And maybe that's important to me. So I talk, talk, speak about that. How do you, how do you deal with that? You know, kind of towing the line between talking about the health benefits of not having excess body fat and an increase in your metabolic resilience versus just having it be about weight. That has to be kind of a weird corner to be in. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, it's about judgment. I mean, like if you, if you don't, your, your worth, no matter what size you are, is the same. Like you are, you are a person, you are a whole person. We don't blame people for any other medical issue, right? So first of all, for the people who are dealing with this, like where, you know, they're really struggling and they've gained a lot of weight and they're, maybe their BMI is in the obesity and, you know, you should be proud of who you are, like regardless, but this is a medical issue. And so I think that what happens is when we uh, blame people and when we judge people and we have to recognize that there is stigma against people who have excess body weight and that is not right. And we shouldn't do that. And that is unacceptable. And even in the words that we use and the terminology that we use, and as healthcare providers, we need to have more compassion and understanding and empathy and accommodations in our office to accommodate people of all shapes and sizes. And yeah. so, you know, that's just um, one of those things like we have to recognize that when, especially for people who have a lot of body weight, um, that's a medical issue. Like right. it's very complicated and there are mechanisms that are not in their control anymore. Once somebody starts to gain weight, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we will see, you know, we'll, well, we'll, sometimes we hear from people who are like, oh my God, I've just struggled my whole life or yeah, you know, once it happened, it was like a snowball effect. Right. There are things that happen in your body. So our fat cells are not just storage. They're not inert storage. They're actually hormonally active. And there are many different, there, it's like a hormonal tissue, our, our, our body fat. And it's releasing stuff that's communicating with our brain and with other parts of our body. And when people who've struggled with weight for a long time, um, they have these things that it's called adiposopathy. It's okay. basically a dysregulation. It's also called sick fat disease, which I don't, don't really love that term either. But <laughs> yeah, it's basically a dysregulation of the hormones involved with our body fat. And when they're not communicating properly with the brain anymore, there's more hunger. There's less satiety or fullness when we eat. Okay, talk There's, about those hormones specifically because I feel like people don't know. We think about our own like female hormones and mm-hmm. testosterone and estrogen, but people don't realize. I, I learned so much about this when I was learning about sleep apnea, which, oh my gosh, what a nightmare. But this, there are all these little tiny hormones that we don't talk about because it's, it hasn't been that interesting so talk about, like you mentioned ghrelin earlier, what, what besides ghrelin are those random hormones that nobody really knows about? Cause we throw around, I feel like we throw around the term, horm- at least as women, we throw around the term hormone and we really mean estrogen and progesterone. So you go to your doctor, you ask to get your hormones checked and it's like, well, those are normal, you know, okay, great. But there's so many others. Talk, talk about the hormones. Yeah. So there's a lot of different hormones involved with metabolism and we're just learning. I mean, but there's so much more that we still don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the um, ho- main kind of hormones that I think people should know about. So number one, ghrelin. Ghrelin mm-hmm. is a hormone that um, it basically drives hunger. I always think of it as growling, like your stomach's growling, you're hungry. Okay, love it. So ghrelin can become dysregulated with this excess body fat um, issue. Also stress can lead to increased amounts of ghrelin, which, uh-huh. you know, stress so eating is a you thing. you think that you're hungry, but like the hormone is coming out at an inappropriate time. So you think you get yeah. stressed out, you think you're hungry because there's in, an increase in that hormone, right? That right? Yeah. So that is one of the hormones involved. Also leptin is another hormone that's involved in people who have excess body weight. Mm-hmm. And there's some very rare conditions where people have leptin resistant. I mean, a uh, leptin, uh, like insufficiency, basically we're not talking about that. Those are like, um, disorders that come out when kids are, you know, very little, but okay. leptin resistance happens as people gain body weight. So that's basically where they're not getting, their brain doesn't get the signal. Um, and they're, so they have more hunger. The, the brain doesn't full. get the signal that they're full. And um, we actually have pathways in our hypothalamus, in our brain. Um, there's one called NPY and one called POMC. And NPY, when it's stimulated, it makes us gain weight. Mm-hmm. And when palm C is stimulated, it makes us lose weight. And so for people who are just naturally lean or naturally not lean, it could be that this path, these pathways are, these pathways are the um, kind of like the captain of the ship, if you will, in that regards. Okay. And all these different hormones have receptors there. So when the body fat is accumulating and these hormones are not doing their job right, so now we have ghrelin that's increased. We have leptin that's not doing its job as much as it could. We have even like gut hormones. We, there's one called uh, PYY. There's 
uh, GLP-1, which is a hormone released by our small intestine that tells us that we're full. Basically, they're not it's really regulated properly. It's, it's very, very complicated. Very complicated. Mm -hmm. So how? And then, and then one last one's insulin, which everyone knows the big, about. The big daddy. Well, so yeah. then, how would you say? I mean, do we test for those? Is there, there a way to know? Like, how do you know oh, this person's, you know, ghrelin is off the charts or whatever? I mean, how, how does a person know that if they're struggling with weight? So I think when we're looking at a person who's been dealing with this, we need to just understand that once they started accumulating a lot more body fat, they have this dysregulation going on. And so what we need to do is provide tools for them so that, because we know that when they cut calories and stuff, they're going to be really hungry, right? Yeah. And, and that hunger uh, you know, for like people say who've lost weight successfully and then they yo-yo back, right? Like we right. know weight regain happens because your brain, your hypothalamus has a set point and it is trying to get you back there. So it's not all your fault when you regain the weight. I mean, yes, you could have had more willpower or you could have tried harder, but there was something there that was trying to increase your hunger and make you less full to get right. you back to where you were. Right. And that's why in my field, we use particular medications to help people overcome this physiologic thing that's happening that's like trying an, to get you back to where you were. Like an app, like phenamine or like an appetite suppressant, or what do you mean? Which medications? So there's actually many. There, there's a few that are approved for weight management. Um, uh -huh. One is phentermine, that is basically an appetite suppressant. It uh -huh. works in the brain and makes you less hungry. Um, that's approved for short term use. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, I use that for periods of time, typically yeah. after three months, people mm -hmm. get tolerant to it. Okay. Um, but it's been around forever since the 1960s. People know about Fen Fen, which is not <laughs> on the market. What, what happened to that? Uh, it had issues. There were heart issues with the Fenfluramine. <laughs> so it's gone. But Fentramine is very safe if you use it in the right people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I screen people for that. And if it's appropriate, it can help them as a tool. Again, it's it's not a weakness. We don't tell people who have high blood pressure now, uh, you know, say congenitally or people who have, you know, other medical issues. We don't tell them, well, just go, you know, go reduce that blood pressure on your own. We give them medication, right? right. So when we understand this model that there is a medical issue, maybe early on it, it could have been done, but a lot of times when people have been struggling with this and understanding how complex the hormonal stuff is that's happening it's not a cop out to take medication. It's just a tool to help you to get to where you need to be. So fentramine is one. We um, also have one called Qsimia, which is fentramine and topiramate together. Oh, um, Max, God help us. I, that, I had to take that for migraines for like six months and I thought I was going insane. <laughs> But there but, are people who do well with it too. <laughs> some people do. Some people do. Well, I lost, it, it was the weirdest sensation. I, I mean, I also like had to have brain surgery right after that. And so it was probably a combination of many things, but it was the weirdest sensation. It was like food. I'd look at food and just be like, Ooh, who want to eat that? You know, it was so weird, but I mean, so I can imagine it working tremendously well. Cause it, I mean, it literally food looking at thinking about food made me sick. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. And, and like you said, it wasn't approved for that to begin with, but then with fentermine as the medication called Qsimia, it's strictly approved for medical weight management. 
Um, and so people who have a BMI over 27 with uh -huh. a health problem related to their weight, okay. um, we can consider the, what are called anti-obesity medications um, or a BMI over 30. Um, so Qsimia, Phentermine, there's Contrave, which is a combination of Wellbutrin and Naltrexone is approved same criteria, but different set of issues. And you gotta, you know, that one actually targets dopamine in the brain and mm. you know, that food reward, right? right? So like when we again have these stressors in life, and I know like when we talked about metabolic resilience, we talk about stress is like a really bad thing for our body. Like in short amounts of time, it's okay. But when it's there all the time, there's so many things that happen. But, you know, when people get into the cycle of, comfort food and, you know, eating food to help feel themselves emotionally feel better. Right. That cycle, um, especially for people like that, sometimes contrave can be especially helpful. Um, and then we have Saxenda, um, which is one of my, like, I don't want to say favorite drug classes, but I just think it makes so much sense. So that medication is actually also used for diabetes. So see, uh -huh. we're having that interlap. Um, and that inter overlap. Um, um, I saw your hand motion. So I, knew I just made up a word. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Saxenda is um, liraglutide, which is also called Victoza when used for diabetes. Uh -huh. And that drug class is a GLP-1 uh, agonist. So what that means is, remember I was talking about the small intestine when we eat Mm -hmm. One of the hormones that we release is called GLP-1. Mm -hmm. So this medication drug class mimics that. Now, what's really interesting is the people who have gastric bypass or gastric sleeve surgery, mm -hmm. guess what? Their GLP-1 levels go up after surgery. So it's not even that they're, they're able to eat less, but actually there's a hormonal effect um, on their GI tract that's separate that's from eating less. Right. So GLP-1s are very helpful. They work in the brain. They have receptors in the hypothalamus, which we talked about. They have receptors in the stomach, so it delays stomach emptying. It actually helps insulin. They're called, they have an incretin effect on insulin. So what's really cool is that even for people who have diabetes, when they get on GLP-1s, we, we not, we're not, it's not just about lowering the blood sugar, right? Insulin does that. But guess what? Insulin causes weight gain, which just makes your diabetes worse. However, GLP-1 drug class helps people lose weight. So just for weight loss alone, Saxenda is a, it's approved as Saxenda, but when that medication is used at a different dose, it's called Victoza for diabetes. And we have other ones. There's one called Ozempic, Trulicity. Those are all approved for diabetes or people, you know, who kind of have the diagnosis of diabetes. So we have a lot of tools. It, yeah. So, and I feel like people are, well, first of all, a lot of primary care and family medicine probably just aren't comfortable prescribing those medications because they may not necessarily know how they work. And so, I mean, at what point would you say, I mean, would you just encourage basically anybody who feels like they're struggling with weight gain to find a provider who's really specializing in that or what, how, what's your advice to people? Yeah. I mean, I think that that, that would be great. But, um, you know, I think that a lot of times if you're already kind of just starting off and maybe you're trying yourself, um, that's okay if you're kind of implementing a lot of these changes that we're, that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But if you're not getting to where you want to be, then I think it's, it's great to ask for help. And, 
you know, what's, what's kind of interesting is that every provider, every person practicing is kind of in a different place as far as where they are with this, you know? Yeah. So I think much new information. I mean, it's like you said, the hormone, the hormones that we know about are new. The benefits of intermittent fasting are kind of new. I mean, it's, there's just so much we, I mean, like medicine, you know, of course is always changing and this is just a kind of a new thing that everybody's learning about. It's almost like, just like a, it's like a different area of, it's not pure endocrinology, but it's like kind of right. more um, focused. So yeah, I would say anybody who's looking for help, you know, some quick resources, like if they're looking for someone in their area, because obviously with the laws, the way they are, you have to kind of see people within your own state who are licensed to practice. Um, so if you go to the, um, uh, oh my God, what is it called? The American Board of um, Obesity Medicine, their website. Um, oh, you, you know, you can, area. Yeah, you can actually look it up. There's a directory, the o- Obesity Action Coalition. And I know a lot of times people are like, I don't have obesity, but you can look there for people. Um, right. I'm in Texas and I can do telemedicine. I love, this is one of my passions. You know, my goal is not to just see people who, who are, you know, on that upper end of BMI, like, of course, I'm happy to see them too. But I want to see people being proactive and really, um, again, you know, taking charge of their metabolic health. And, you know, the way I practice is like, I'm combining the lifestyle medicine with the obesity medicine with the internal medicine so that, you know, we have a comprehensive plan. Right. So if you were going to try to put yourself out of business and said, okay, these are the things you're going to do at home what would be your like action plan? (laughs) My action plan would be cut out the night eating because you're not hungry after dinner. If you are, you didn't eat enough at dinner and it's probably more mindless eating or boredom eating. And obviously if you have a dinner party or you're getting together for a special occasion, eat after dinner, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But in general, eat earlier. Number two, eat more veggies. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, uh, cut down on, um, you know, these sugar sweetened beverages and sugar is sugar. So I don't care if it's agave sweetened or maple syrup sweetened is sugar. Right. So cut down on sugar, right. um, eat more complex carbs. I already said, eat your veggies. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at proteins, we know that there's health benefit, there's detrimental effects with red meat. So try to eat more of the fish and poultry, if you're going to eat meat. And even if you're not completely plant-based, try to start incorporating more plant-based proteins uh, because they come along with fiber, which ding, 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 30 grams a day is your goal. So beans, legumes, lentils, tofu, um, edamame, you know, nuts, seeds, try to eat the rainbow and eat more plant-based proteins. That's where I would say to start from a nutrition standpoint. you know, and meal timing standpoint, reduce stress, work to, you know, have an action plan. So you're not like constantly, uh, you know, just running away from a lion, but really work towards um, stress reduction and understand that it has effects on your health, which I know we didn't even get to talk about all of those today. Um, You know, finding movement in your life. So, uh, you know, physical activity is really important for your well-being, for your, um, you know, longevity for mortality, you live longer for your heart health. Um, I think a lot of times people kind of go, well, I'm working out, I should be losing weight. Um, it's 
more about what you eat typically, mm-hmm. um, as far as weight loss is concerned. Uh, but when you are losing weight, you really, in order to maintain the weight loss, you have to be exercising yeah. and you have to be doing muscle resistance and cardio and the whole bit. Um, but be very realistic with yourself when you're making changes. If you're a perfectionist and it's like, if I'm not doing five days a week for 45 minutes, then what's the point? No, like just start where you are and work small goals. That's what I do in my practice. I do health coaching and we just have, you know, even for myself, like I'm not perfect. I don't hit everything all the time. So have some grace with yourself. Um, And then last but not least, like just understand that it's a process, it's a journey and um, it's a lifelong process. Yeah. Yeah. What's your biggest patient success story? Oh, you're um, on the spot. Sorry. I just- <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fine. I mean, I feel like I have so many and it's never always just related to pounds lost. I will tell right. you that. Um, the ones that I feel the happiest about, okay, is the people who can't, who come in on insulin, like 40 mm-hmm. units of insulin, three right. diabetic meds. And they thought that that was going to be their life. Yeah. And now they're off insulin. I mean, that is just, that's pretty life-changing. It's life-changing for them. And it's what keeps me doing what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so and I would say bad. those are my biggest. There are probably people that may lose some weight, but along the way, they're just learning. You don't have to feel that bad. It's not just about the weight, you know, that you can feel so much better when you're reducing stress, eating better, you know, taking care of yourself that I'm sure that you have people all the time that are like, you know, I'm not at my goal, but I feel so much better. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes the goal comes from like, oh, you know, what I look like back in college. I mean, you know, that could be great in theory, but as far as health benefits, we know a, you know, 10 to 15%, um, especially for people who've had some health issues develop um, because of the excess body weight, we know that um, that that leads to a lot of improvements in cholesterol, blood pressure, um, in inflammation markers, mm-hmm. uh, A1C, you know, like blood sugar, all of those things that people might be familiar with. And, and I think like something about when you're doing this, like just for kind of a take home message is, you know, just having mindfulness in every decision. Like, yes, I could eat this cookie, but does this serve me right now? Have I never had a cookie before? Well, it's okay. If that cookie really brings you joy in that moment, then eat it. It's not about deprivation. It's about having the presence of mind to mm-hmm. make the decision rather than it just happening, you know? And so again, like right now we're sitting, well, could I have done this interview standing? Yeah, I guess I could have if I'd had the mindfulness to do that. And so knowing that all the little different decisions you make are yours to make and there's no judgment about it. Like you just, sometimes you eat a brownie and sometimes you don't. <laughs> a lot of times I do. <laughs> and that's okay. It served you in that moment. It did. Well, thank you so much. This is fascinating. We are going to have to do another episode because there were so many questions that, gosh, I mean, I feel like we could talk about this all day and, you know, specific benefits of different people. I mean, people get very specific in their questions, but, but they're all interesting. I mean, every single one of them that came in, I was like, huh, I I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know how to answer that. I'm going to have to send you a list because it'll be super entertaining for you, but we'll do, we'll have to do this again in a couple months. Sure. Yeah. Maybe you can send me that list and we can be more specific because I know today was very 
kind of educational. And I mean, it's just, there's, it's so, there's so much in this field, but I love to empower people with the information so that they kind of understand why that, why I'm telling them to do certain things. And when you know the general principles behind something, you know, then you can, can look at other information and decide whether or not that's going to be right for you. Probably. Exactly. Well, I hope the rest of your day goes well and all your patients show up and you can come back in a couple months and we'll get very specific. Thank you so much, really. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon.